This is Ben Bishop, creator of The Aggregate and Split Decision Comics, and you're listening to Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, people talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Today with us we have Josh. What up, what up, what up? Also featuring CBS. Hello. And Rob. Hi. <laughs> All right, well, that's Rob, everybody. Um, so today we are doing episode number 114. <laughs> oh, yeah. Book-wise, we're going to be going over, uh, let's see, Iron Man, oh, excuse me, Invincible Iron Man, number 598. Then we'll be doing Plastic Man number one. And we'll be doing Zero Jumper number two from Alterna Comics. And then uh, follow that up with Justice League number two. This is from the new Scott Snyder run. And then uh, follow it up or finish off. Well, last book will be X-Men Gold number 30. And then uh, we're going to have an interview from uh, the Denver Comic Con with uh, Marguerite Scott. She's the author taking over Batgirl here in the near future. So that should be pretty fun. She wrote a bunch of Transformers stuff and has done a bunch of animated, like, writing as well. So, depending on what you read or what you've seen, it's possible you watch episodes of things she's written. Cool lady. Anyhow, do we have any news today? I didn't see a lot. No? Kirk, Kirkman was saying that Walking Dead is going to be drastically different this next season. Talking about the TV show? Comparatively to the comics. But they said that last season and it didn't really... Pan out. Well, at this point, we're talking about Rick leaving, and if, uh, what's her name? Lauren, Ma- Lauren Coheen bounces too, then. And Maggie becoming the governess? Well, that's Maggie. If she, if she only stays on for one more season and bounces, that means we'll have Rick gone, Maggie gone, Carl gone, Glenn gone. That leaves Daryl, which I know makes some people super happy, but. Hopefully, Maggie and Rick just choke each other to death. That's the way the show ends. I think that'd be pretty questionable. I don't know about that. I have a feeling that what we'll really see is we'll see more merging of the two casts. Because I guess on the Fear of the Walking Dead, they killed a couple main cast characters too. Like the younger kid character, younger guy, which I guess he's got some other deal with some other show or movie or something. So he thinks he's going to become a Hollywood star too. I guess we'll see if that happens. It doesn't work so well when those people leave those shows. They don't usually blow up, you know, they go off and they do one movie and it's not even like a good movie and then from there they're like, shit, I wasted my career. <laughs> not all of them. Don't be wrong. Michael, we'll see. Michael Douglas was talking about how he wants to do an Ant-Man prequel where he gets to be Ant-Man. That seems like a weird choice. Um, also, the Spider-Man kid um, oh, yeah. supposedly leaked the name of the next Spider-Man movie. Do you remember what he said? Something about Far from home. Far from home, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a college movie. Well, now, if they're going to return him from the dead and he's still out in space, it'd be like Spider-Man in space. That'd be kind of cool. It's not going to be space. It's going to be college. Mm, sad day. Sorry. That's what the, that's what the Less first one was high school, second one's high school, college. That's the way it's going to go. Less anime action. That's too bad. Wah, wah, wah. Well, no, if, she was, if he was in space, it would be less Aunt May. That's yeah. true, too. It would be way less Yeah, it would be Spider-Man in space, man. That's awesome. That's oh, not awesome. On. That doesn't make any sense. That's where all movies go to die is space. 
Mm, I just figured that out. Except Machete. The new Machete is going to be in space, and it's going to make it the best <laughs> one yet. We definitely hope that it will. Machete kills in space. I'm pretty sure he just proved what he just said. Yeah, I probably did. He, he no, probably no. just added to my statement. Yeah. Jason X. That's, yeah. That Leprechaun. That one was good, too. <laughs> and it was funny. But no, it Jason wasn't. in space. Yeah. I like that one. Uh, no. No. I mean, his mask was shiny. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole cheerleader in the sleeping bag thing was pretty awesome, but that's like all that movies are remembered for. That's what all the movies are remembered for. No. They, yeah. He, not in any other movie was his mask shiny like that. Or did he take a cheerleader in a sleeping bag and turn it into like a wiffle ball bat? That didn't happen in any other movies. Just that one. Just him killing people. Yeah. And very interesting. He's like the... He's just a really good killer. He's just probably the most unique... I think even maybe even he like in his crazy like monster rage state like when he, he I think he like takes a step back and like wow that was a good one good job <laughs> high, high fives himself man I don't remember that happening but that would be funny if it did I'm just saying spaces where most serious is like that go to die i.e. the leprechaun and he went to the hood and even got after that he got then he went to space that's true anyway uh, Rob you got any news over there no we're floundering over here with nonsense so. I mean, that Spider-Man title, that's pretty cool, so. I guess the Crow stuff got shut down, so Jason Momoa was pushing to, I don't know if people know this or not, was pushing to relaunch the Crow with him being the Crow, and apparently something between A and B stopped that from happening, so. I guess there's no longer a Crow go? No? No go of the Crow? No? Just me? Okay. I'm sure you want, want, want. Oh, that would be a good place for it, actually. Your love for Jason Momoa is, like, real uncomfortable. It's no different than anything else. I mean, have you seen the man? He's impressive. <laughs> impressive. I don't think it's, it's not that out of control. I mean, honestly, I, I had a chance to meet the dude in Denver and did not pursue it, so... Which is fine. Not not that I, you know, it, I guess in hindsight it would have been fun, I guess. Should we talk about the Denver Comic Con at all, Rob? Save, yeah. it, save it for next episode. So when you take pictures with people... I had a Comic-Con. Do you, like, is there, like, a strict hands-off policy, like, you can't touch them? Depends on the person. Yeah? Depends on the person. And, like, I, I haven't done a whole lot of stage photos. Like, most of the stuff that me and Rob did was all West Coast before that East Coast stuff started leaking in the Comic-Cons with the photo ops and conveyor belt high school yearbook stuff. I mean, yeah, I, I know you guys met a ton of people over the years, and, like, a lot of those pictures are just, like, on the floor. Like, you just say, oh, look at so-and-so, let's take a picture but I was just wondering, like, because I know, wasn't uh, Shatner, wasn't he? Yeah, Shatner was massively hands off, kind of. Shatner is a no touch, and so it was. Uh, I, 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 I remember being told that Stanley was the same way, but Stan's also like when well, he's really right. old and fragile. 90s. So like, Eliza Dushku's that way, which I think depends on. I mean, she's really fragile too as a person. Like, she's small. Well, I think some of the, the females like. You can't be, some of them be like, okay, yeah, let's put your arm around me, and some of them you can't because you never know who's going to be gropey. That's a good point. Either way, I mean, it's kind of a safety thing. And then with the older, like Stan Lee or even Shatner, like those guys are real old and they're, you know, they're, um, what's it called? Your your immune system? Probably real weak. You get the weaker, the older you get. So. No, it's true. Yeah, it makes sense. So I was just curious. I just, I'm not, I mean, I'm sure Jason Momoa would be like, can you put me in a bear hug and that's the picture? You know, that'd be. I wonder how many people have asked, been like, "Can you carry me?" Because the dude's like, he's he's a big man, size and height wise, he's just huge. So like, I can see people being like, "Can you pick me up?" But 
I don't, I don't know if they ever did that or not, I guess. Whatever. Yeah, the only one I, I remember they're having a real, like, don't touch him or whatever thing was for Shatner, and that was the first time we did the kind of conveyor belt pictures. Right. So, James or Davies didn't care. No. He, he, he was touching whoever he wanted to touch. <laughs> it's it's what, true. What Sometimes to probably too much. It was, it was kind of funny, because, like, we, so we were taking the, we, so me, Rob, and Ross, all got a picture with John Reese Davies, and like he he's flicking Ross's ear, and like it, I think did he flick your ear too? No, it was just Ross. It was Ross, but like yeah, he was he was he was pretty hands on. He was a decent dude though. That was that was cool. It's really funny because he's like he was flicking my ear. And I don't know if he meant to, and I'm like pretty sure he did. Is is pretty funny. Poor Ross always gets picked on. Wah, wah, wah. You can kind of tell Ross is kind of like a. Gets freaked out by people touching him, so. That's <laughs> possible, yeah. Just, that'd be funny. It's possible. I mean, Davies just seems to be having fun, I mean, in general, so. It might just be how the dude is. Fun for the sake of being fun. Or fun for himself. Both true, probably. Probably. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Denver Comic Con this year overall was fun, fun, fun show. We should probably just do a Denver Comic Con review and make that a different episode. And we have young Joel around or something. Um, let's move on to, you move on to the Iron Man, Rob? Sure. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Alright, tell us the story about Iron Man number 5, is it 89? Is that what I said? 98. 98, reverse those two. So, uh, we got a writer, which is Brian Michael Bendis, with artist, um, Stefan Casilio, and Alexi Melvi. So we open up with uh, one of the Quinjets flying around, and we got Captain America kind of telling everybody, you know, we need to work together. You know, we're all looking for Tony, so when you hear something, you know, don't just go out on your own. Let everybody know. If you counter Doctor Doom, don't go to him by yourself. Yeah. Make sure make sure you're not facing off against him on your own. From there, we catch up with Riri Williams, who is trying to get her life back together ever since she's reclaimed the... Uh, Ironheart costume. We're finding some like deeper intrigue into that. That there's people who think they have more connection to where Tony is, and her into person is Blade, which is an awesome cameo. Like, mm-hmm. I don't see Blade very awesome or very often. <laughs> and it's kind of like the first time she's encountered him, and so she's pretty unfamiliar with him. Well, yeah, when he shows up in her garage, he's like, "I'm Blade," and she's like, "What?" And goes, has he been in the Marvel U, like, recently? Randomly. Off and on, yeah. They did a mini-series for him where he was connected to the Spirits of Vengeance and, like, him and Johnny Blaze and a couple other Hell-type characters were all teamed up. Yeah, Sons of Midnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Blade shows up here and there. He's not been a huge mover and shaker, but he's been around. So, uh, then we kind of connect to one of the subplots that's been going on in the story, which is that Doom has been posing as Iron Man. He's trying to be a hero. But one of the things that's kind of come up is all the people that Doom's always kind of trash-talked, all the other villains that he's ever worked with, they've all realized, like, if he's going to be a hero, that means he has to act by hero's rules, so he can't kill us anymore. And so the Hood and a handful of others have decided that, like, if he can't kill us, we should take advantage of that. And so they're all, like, ganging up on him to try to get to 
Dooms millions, basically. His gold. Yes. Whatever he's using to run this, the country of Latveria with. But it's kind of a, it's kind of a crazy thing. Like, you're really kind of poking the tiger there. Cause Doom, Doom kills. Doom does kill. You know? Like, you're really just hoping on the idea that he's gonna stick with his, his morals in this case. He's not gonna come back for revenge later. Yeah. Yeah. I think they all thought maybe they're gonna chance to pop him and actually get done with it. Well, that's definitely what, uh, the hood thought. Yeah. Is that he would just take him out now. But as we got that all going on, um, we wound up finally having Friday, which is Tony Stark's AI, realize that, that she could track any of the suits. And so, you know, one of the big things that's been going on is Tony's body was missing. They've been trying to figure out where his body went. So technically, you know, probably a pretty good idea that he's in one of the suits. Right. If you can track the suits, find the suit that's not where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And we have a whole collection of... You know, kind of armored heroes that are looking for him. So we got uh, Madison Jeffries, Tony Ho, uh, Arno Stark, and of course Riri Williams. And they're all kind of been bebopping around the series for a while. Jeffries kind of the oddball one because he was the he's like an Alpha Flight guy. He could communicate with armors and stuff. And he made his own suit. And he ran around called he was called Box for a while. Oh yeah, I remember Box. Okay. Yeah. So you might have to. I don't know. You might have to look up Alpha Flight box to get Jeffrey Madison. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't know where he connected, but that makes yeah, a lot of sense, kind of, actually. Kind of an old an old school one. But they've all been kind of think-tanking, trying to figure out where Tony's been this whole time. And of course, once they get their lead on it, they all decide to power up and like put on their suits and go flying after him. And I think Riri was kind of like, oh, I thought I was going to go alone. Right. And instead, you wind up having this whole group of them. And I think it's Arno who makes this joke about the armored squad. Being all going out to try to find Tony. And as the as the plot thickens throughout the book, we kind of have more and more with Doom. And then trying to break into his armor. And you're getting a couple of guys that are like, why is he even dressed up like Doom? Or like uh, Iron Man to begin with. Right. A couple of the Wrecking Crew are there and they're like, yeah, why is he wearing this costume? Like, is he working for Stark? Like, what's going on? By the time they actually managed to pop the suit open, we discover that he's not there. Which led a lot of them to think, like, he was never there. In the end, Vic just, like, teleported himself out so that he couldn't be harassed by them any longer. As Riri and the rest follow the signal, they wind up coming to, like, an old abandoned shopping center. And pretty quickly they wind up being attacked by, like, a whole bunch of just kind of, like, D-lister guys that are all kind of different armored suits. And we really find out that they're all just kind of puppets, which leads back to the person who's controlling them, which is another, like, kind of D-list lady that has been running armors for a while. And what we kind of find out is Tony just left all these, like, false trails. Whatever he's doing, he doesn't want them to be there for. And so he's kind of just illustrating, like, well, if you keep following me, it's just going to be more and more of this. You're just going to keep running into, like, kind of the, the dirty work that I left behind. Which is kind of an interesting thing, because we do have a moment where we get a Friday talk for Tony. Well, she gets taken over by him. Yeah. We assume it's him, at least. Tell him, yeah, quit following me. Blah, blah, blah. This lady was on the most wanted list for this. So, good job, guys. Which Arno seems pretty interested in her, so who knows? Maybe we'll see her show up again later in the series continues. But kind of the big catch is at the end, which is where we find out where... 
Victor. Victor had gone. Mm-hmm. And we kind of find out that Vic has been, has been busy been living his own life. He's been busy doing, doing more than just trying to be Iron Man and trying to live up to an ideal. And kind of like the big thing for it is that Vic has a kid on the way. Dun, so, dun, dun. Yeah, Doctor Doom may have another child. Which, if I'm thinking right, there there is another child of Doom out there already that's like an adult. Now, my my information might be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure he has like a like a teenageish son or that that kind of runs Latveria when he's gone that poses as Doom. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but like that was a thing before. But this is a new kid. Well, it's that well unborn so, at this point. Yeah. So we'll see whether that manages to land anywhere else afterwards. I mean, yeah. So I like pretty big shocker to me. Like we've been kind of running this whole looking for Tony for a minute thing. So, but this stuff with uh with Vic, that's pretty crazy. Pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, Rob, with score wise, what'd you give that book for a score? I'd say three point five. Um, it is. It's. A very well done book so far. You know, I've liked where they've gone with it. It's interesting that we have the two different art styles throughout the book because every time that we go over to Vic, we kind of have the uh, irredeemable Iron Man looking art style. Right. I think this is probably the best use of Riri Williams as she's gone in the series, which is kind of sad. I mean, it's kind of drawn to the end, and this is where I've actually liked her the best. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, three point five. I'd say pretty middle, I guess. Okay, Mister Josh, what do you think about that book? I'll give it a three. I was so this might be better explained to me. Maybe maybe appreciate the book more, and I appreciate the book more. But if Tony Stark's missing, like, is there no continuity across Marvel anymore because he's in the Avengers books? Well, not not at this point. This book's a little older at this point. So, like, where the current Avengers that just came out, like, maybe two weeks ago, this doesn't line up with that. They're two different time frames. Yeah, technically, this book came out... Like, like five months ago, maybe. Ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. My yeah. bad. No, that's all right. The big, uh, like, 599 and probably 600 probably clear it up better as to, like, this is where he's at and this is where he's been. Right. But, well, the 60, I think it's 60, is it 600 or 601 was the big return of Tony Stark. Because we actually had a new Tony, a new Iron Man start last week. Tony Stark Iron Man. Oh, cool. Which that one's like the brand newest one. But yeah, this book particularly we picked because of the whole Doctor Doom reveal thing. Yeah, we haven't got to talk about it yet. So. Yeah, it was interesting. So as far as stuff, yeah, in the world. I don't know if we told you that before you went through and read that one. <laughs> You said, hey, read these books. And I said, okay. And I read them. Yeah. Well, time time is fluid in comics. So was there a score in there somewhere? I gave it a three. Oh, okay. Sweet. <laughs> All right. Um, well, yeah, I'd, I'd follow suit, actually. I'd give it a three as well. I mean, I did like how the art shifted between the two different storylines because we basically had a bump around between all the stuff going on with Riri and the other Iron characters and Blade. Back and forth to Doom and what was happening with Doom and like having the same style from the Invincible or no, the Irredeemable Iron Man, I think lend to that idea as a good way to separate the two pieces of story. So I thought that was really cool. So I guess maybe I give it a three and a half. 
Because I, I thought it was really neat the way they did that. Generally, that kind of stuff pisses me off when the art's, like, so different. But both styles are really good, so, so I dug that. Well, and it also helped that it wasn't just kind of like... All these pages didn't get done. It was it was thematic. It fit because of the time frame, or because of where you were at, character-wise. Anyhow, yeah, so it fit really well. But yeah, I give it three and a half. Overall, all that Doom stuff's been really interesting, with the whole, like, Doom, bum, 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 kid thing is kind of like, wow, all right. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see where this goes. Anyhow, um, so yeah, so I give it three and a half. I guess that's all for that, right? Yeah, okay, so next book, next book. Usually I feel more focused. It's been a long time since we did one of these. It feels like it's been a long time. I guess there was Comic-Con last week, so that's to slow things down. The letter running around lately. That's true. A few weeks from now, I'll be gone to Comic-Con again, just in San Diego. So, good times, I guess. Uh, so let's move on to Plastic Man. Uh, Plastic Man number one, this is a six-part miniseries, uh, written by Gil Simone. And uh, the artist on it is uh, Milo. Um... Uh, Adrian M- Melo, Milo, it's M-E-L-O, I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, anyhow, so uh, when the book first opens up, we're in Coal City, which is, uh, I, don't know, I guess, Plastic Man's New Jersey or whatever. And timeline-wise, it's hard to say where this is happening at, because everything's very 50s gangster. But I think it's just because his backstory is 50s gangster. But I don't think it's actually supposed to be in the 50s. But we've got a couple mobsters with another more recognizable mobster on his knees in the background. And uh, one of the guys is getting razzed by his girlfriend now. She wants to get to the restaurant because she's not here for them getting work done in the alley. <laughs> Which eventually leads over to figure out that uh, who they have pinned down is uh, is Plastic Man. And uh, he's in his, uh, his thug persona, I guess is what you'd call it. Um... I guess that's who he was before he was affected by the... This is kind of an origin story, I guess. I mean, it has the origin in it. But he's, but he's already Plastic Man? Well, at this point, he's already Plastic Man, yeah. So it's kind of like a nod to the original origin of Plastic Man. They do show a flashback later. Anyhow, he's so he's in his here with these two other thugs. That he, the entire time, he's got a monologue going on in his head, how these guys used to be his friends, and how can you trust your friends when your friends are terrible, and... Of course, they lead to whooping his ass in the alleyway, breaking his knees, and everything looks really horrific. And then when they get done, they're like, yeah, you don't snitch on this to anybody. Snitches get stitches. They don't say that, but it'd be funny if they did. No. I think it would be. And so they leave him, like a bloody mess on the ground. And then this little kid comes walking up in a hoodie. And he's like, man, those guys beat the blank, because it's hyphenated out of you. And they're like, that's so wang. And then he's like, you need an ambulance or something? And Plastic Man says, no, I'm good. He's like, what's your name, mister? And that's when we get the reveal. Because up to this point, you didn't he wasn't in the costume at all, by any means. Um, in case you don't know, so if you don't know Plastic Man's real name, is Eel O'Brien. And so he tells him that's who he is, and the kid says, I'm Pablo. Anyway, eventually the two of them, their dialogue leads to the point where he leaves, and then Plastic Man's like, is weighing a good or bad thing? Does Wayne still mean penis? And the kid just wanders off into the mist. That's the background. So there's no real answer to it as far as what Wayne's supposed to mean. Because <laughs> it could be bad. I mean, he was pretty beat up. And, you know, okay. But he, he wasn't beat up, though. Well, ultimately, once he reshapes himself, yeah, he spit up a bunch of blood, but 
No, was uh, I think it was just his plasticness making it look it could like very well been. Because once he reforms, he's fine and dandy, and off he runs as plastic man, like bouncing yeah. around, smiles all day. And I think it was just some like kid from the street just watching, kind of from a distance. I think I don't. Right, I doubt it was any more than that. I mean, unless unless issue two, the kid comes back. I guess we'll see. Yeah, but yes. I, I don't know enough about Plastic Man to be like, oh yeah, that's some kind of weird reference to something. So I kind of don't think it is, but you never know. Yeah, I don't. I find it unlikely. Uh, anyway, so then we kind of move from there into him following the crooks to the job they're talking about doing next, and in the process, he would get the flashback of him. And the way that this particular story describes it is he was on a job with these other three dudes that disrupt them up, and they're robbing like a chemical factory or something, and they wind up uh, killing a, a guard. And, uh, of course, O'Brien gets shot as well by the guard. And so at that point, the whole chemical thing spills on him and changes him in the first place. So he doesn't have a full memory of what happened, and he's trying to figure out who killed the guard, and that's what he's looking to try to track down and get retribution for and he knows these three guys with dudes there with him he doesn't know which one of them popped the guard so he goes after one of them and shakes some information out of him and that guy claims that O'Brien's the one that shot the guard and this is one of the dudes that just beat up O'Brien in the alley so he has no idea he's plastic man that leads him to go into his night job which is working at a different club um, underneath the O'Brien well his, his real persona and uh, while he's there, like he has nightmares about the whole incident, and in his head he's like, "Am I a murderer? Like, maybe I am a murderer. You know, I didn't mean to kill the guard or shoot the guard, but it could be my fault." And uh, from there, he winds up uh, being woken up in the middle of the night. Well, we, well, we also see his friends dumped his body, which is how he initially sort of died in the first place because he got shot too, and the chemicals fell on him. Then the other thugs took the body, took him with them, eventually pitched him out of the car because they didn't want to take him to the hospital. It's like one of the friends was like, dude, we got to take him to the hospital. And the other two were like, no, no, we got to dump the body. And they basically just threw him off a bluff. Anyhow, so he wakes up in the middle of the night and there's a lady there with a gun pointed at him. She says she's from Spiral and that she needs his help. And so he gets up. He's like, well, I got to put on some, you might want to turn your back for a second because I, you know, don't have any undergarments on. And she's like, I'm not turning around on you at all. And he stands up and he's like, all right, would you like my six pack? And he's like, oh, you like it if it's a 12 pack? And of course it changes because he's plastic man. And he's like, oh, hang on. Are you looking at my... Are you looking at my... And she's like, I'll turn around. So it's, it's kind of funny. I, I thought it was funny. It's all jokes about about his man part. And he's plastic man, so you know. Like, impressing the ladies, that's what he, you know. No? Okay. Anyway. Apparently only funny to me. Well, from there he gets a phone call. And his phone call is from one of his... One of the one of the, would be the thug. The one that was willing to take him to the hospital. And he's like, I need your help with Brian. I don't have anybody else to call. They're here to get me. I, I need your help. You guys save me. So he's like, I gotta go. And Lee's like, mm, good luck doing that. I need your help too. Because all the super teams and government organizations have been infiltrated by a subgroup trying to take things over. And he's like, yeah, I don't know about that. And she's like, no, no, even the super teams. That's why I came to you. And he's like, there's probably someone better suited for this. Like, everybody but me. And she's like, no, no, I need you because I know you are just one dude and whoever's in the, they've got people everywhere, including the Justice League. And of course, O'Brien doesn't believe that and off he bounces. Eventually gets to his friend's house where he finds his friend basically bullet ridden on the floor, like jacked up, but still kind of alive. He's like, who did it? Who, who hurt you? Who, tell me who did it. I'll get him. I'll get him for you. And of course, he's in full plastic man gear. So like the fact the guy didn't freak out is kind of weird. 
but the dude writes on the wall JLA with his fingers in blood. And about that time, the cops kick in the door, and there's this old lady from the next-door neighbor who's like, that's the man that killed him. And he's like, what, what, what? And that's where the book ends. So, like, we know he didn't do it, because we were with him at the apartment with the lady. But there's an eyewitness saying that he is the one who did it, and the thug himself has incriminated the Justice League, which at one point Plastic Man has hung out with. So it doesn't look too good for our our stretchy guy. Is that what you would call him? Because he's not the Elastic Man, because that's a different dude. Mm-hmm. He's not the Rubber Band Man, because that's a different guy, too. He's not Mr. Fantastic, because that's a different universe. So yeah, it doesn't look so good for O'Brien, just in general. That's pretty much it. Score-wise, I give it a two. I mean, I, I like Gail Simone a lot. And I don't know if this is an older written story, or if it's a story that's just out of place in time, and only happening because of the terrifics happening, or what. Because it wasn't bad. It just doesn't feel like it fits anywhere with anything else happening. And DC's been pretty okay about that lately. I mean, stories seem to line up. You know, Batman's missing, he's missing and everything. So I kind of wonder, timeline-wise, this is meant to come out at a different time, or... Yeah, I don't know, because we don't really mention the Dark Universe at all. We don't mention his teaming up with the Terrifics. We don't talk about any of that. So It just seems kind of a throwback origin, like a... Like a a plastic man year one story. What it seems like to yeah, me. Yeah. Like, maybe if they would have titled it that way, I'd, I'd be more happy with it. Like, if you think about that way, then I, I guess I'd give it a three. Because it was, I mean, the story's not written bad. It's got funny parts and pieces I laughed at. Because he's just, he's, he's just become plastic man, kind of. It's not. Well, they don't, they don't revelate how much time's gone on. I mean, enough time that they, his friends could have thrown him over the... Well, they thought that he... They're like, you're back from the dead. Like, that's right. if you're going to come back from the dead, we're going to beat you up again or whatever. Like, right. We won't keep you from talking. So it's like... I mean, it hasn't been... It didn't seem like that long, and he's still trying to figure out who killed the guard. Like, so it's, right. it's relatively... Yeah, I guess that's true. It is pretty origin story Yeah. I guess, maybe I, they would have called it year one or something. I don't know enough about Plastic Man and the aspect of, like... Have they ever really done like, but and like, originally maybe like whenever he was first created, but like a new retelling of his origin to kind of bring people back on board so they're like into Plastic Man again. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's what this is supposed to be. I don't feel like I don't feel like he has um, he hasn't had a lot of normal like his own series. I mean, he had one during that whole Flashpoint thing, but that was very different and nothing to do with the current continuity. And since then, he's only really been in the Terrifics, because he hasn't really been part of anything else. So I'm going to go with no. And, and since Rebirth and since New 52, he definitely hasn't. So. And there was like a, you know, he was in the JLA off and on throughout like the 2000s. He'd show up and do different things. But um, the kid thing reminded me of one. There was a sto- there was like a one shot JLA book where it was like Batman and Plastic Man teamed up. And they were trying to help out Plastic's man, illegitimate son. Hmm. It was just like, and that—that's what it kind of reminded me of. That I mean, if that might be, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think that actually connects to that at all. But yeah, like, yeah, yeah I don't know. I the well, biggest version of his origins, like, there's some origins they did in the cartoons, and they heavily link him with Batman. Like Batman giving him his second chance, and that's why he's decided to be good. Because Batman's like, hey, dude, don't suck, and. So he's like, I'm not going to. It's going to be awesome. Right. But yeah, so yeah, I guess I give it a three. If it's like an origin, supposedly year one kind of thing, then I, I like it better than what I initially thought when I was like, I don't understand how this fits. 
So I'm happy with that, I guess. I like Plastic Man. I go to three and a half. Um, if you like Plastic Man, you'll enjoy it. But if you don't really like Plastic Man, then you probably... This might make you like him more. I mean, give you a little bit more of an understanding of what he's about. Sure. That's a well-written story. I like the art in it. Mr. Rob, what do you think of Plastic Man? I'd go ahead and give it a three. I, I think that... I think that's exactly what they were shooting for. I think they were going with the idea that there's a whole generation or a whole group of people from New 52 on that don't know Plastic Man. And unfortunately, with his appearance now in Metal, and now his time as a part of the Trifix, there isn't anywhere that he can fit yet. I, I want to think that they're kind of bridging this also with the Rebirth stuff, so... In theory, his time as Mr. Terrific is kind of shortened. So mm. chances are he's probably Plas- not had... Plastic Man? Yeah. I'm sorry, Plastic Man. Uh, so probably he hasn't had his child yet. Although uh, that was a pretty big story in the Justice League. Because one of the big things that came out of that was like, holy cow, your son can change color. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, I could too. I just thought it was funnier to not. <laughs> Silly. Well, that makes sense with the whole rebirth and New Fifty Two and everything. I guess we haven't we haven't had an official origin. I mean, he did show up in a few random issues of like Justice League books in the background of things, but I don't think it was ever written to be in those. Yeah, I think um, during Forever Evil, right? They wanted to set up his origin, and that didn't it didn't happen, right? And then it wound up kind of getting rolled up into um, metal. Which, I mean, it's possible that that still is the origin, is the Eel O'Brien character that we saw shot and dumped into the vat back in Forever Evil. But I kind of don't think so. It right. might be. Yeah, my guess is this is just kind of supposed to be a, a kind of catch-up, and, and they probably would tell you just don't think about it too much. Right. Yeah, don't think about it. It's fine. Well, he comes out of the egg in the, in the Terrifics or whatever. In Metal. Yeah, and it, it has, had he, I think he'd been gone for a while. Wasn't he the egg in oh, metal too? He was. But yeah, but he would, he'd been gone prior to that when he got trapped in the egg or whatever, trapped in that form. Oh, that's right. Cause he had, he had to have been plastic man before he became the egg. Right. So this could take place somewhere before metal. I'm going to lean with that being the correct answer. That sounds probably. good to me. Yeah. I think that fits better. <laughs> but I mean, either way, it's, it's, it feels like it's supposed to be an origin kind of story. So you heard it here a second because it might have been the write up for the book. I don't remember. I don't know, but uh, I, I typically do not like metal or uh, Plastic Man, and I'm kind of I don't know. He's 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 cool in this. You know, it, Plastic Man's had a weird history with DC Comics, where he was really important and had a lot of popularity, and he just kind of fell out over time. And so, who knows? This might be the road back in. There's a lot of people who found that 2000 series for Justice League to be some of the best Justice League they'd done in a while because it just kind of didn't take itself so seriously and Plastic Man was a big part of that. All right, let's move on to the next book. This is uh, Zero Jumper number two. Zero Jumper number two by Mark Mulholland. Um, the company is Alterna Comics yep. and Rob brought up this is a $1.50 cover price. So yeah, this is actually kind of a big thing for alternative comics. Like their whole mission plan, I guess, is to be a more affordable version of comics. So they're trying to keep the price down around a dollar fifty at this point. They didn't shoot themselves in the foot and start off being like, "This is the line. We're never going to cross it." But they do use—I don't want to say inferior. Um, it's newsprint paper inside. It's not inferior. Quality. It's fantastic. Uh, it's just it's just kind of cheaper quality, you know. It's it's kind of more, I guess, traditional or older school quality. 
Um, so instead of having like kind of the high quality kind of plasticky pages that kind of keep their color like indefinitely, it has the more traditional comic book pulp paper or newspaper print paper. Yeah. Um, cool thing for it is, yeah, it's a dollar fifty, so it's not as big of a risk for uh, stores to carry. And it's, you know, they're they're kind of gimmick. They're trying to get it out there and trying to get people to come to Alternative Comic and check them out. So either way, I mean, that's the spiel behind the company. Let's get to the actual book. Sure. Well, it is about a young girl named Juno. She's the last Earthling. Earth has been destroyed, and she is trying to figure out a way to bring Earth back. She can jump through time, and she lands on this planet, and she's got a sidekick who's like a little robot thing and a motorcycle and a power suit, and she goes into this bar looking for a crystal of some sort that's going to help her with her time traveling and bring Earth back, and somebody's kind of following after her that also travels through time, who we kind of find out is the major um, antagonist of this of the series, and it's only going to be a four-issue limited series, so... um she meets up with some warrior woman who says that she can help her and they fight their way to this portal that they're trying to get to and they jump through the portal and the big baddies right there and kind of, well, we got her. Now we can uh, make this, the human race go extinct and it leads on a major cliffhanger. Um, it's really action packed. The art is fantastic. Um, there's a lot of action in it. So these to story wise, there's not a whole lot of story element but there's a lot of action and a lot of like cool art. Like they have a motorcycle chase where the the two girls are on the back of a motorcycle, basically trying to fend off somebody else. There's a whole the whole bar sequence has a fight sequence to it. So like there's a lot of work page wise and art wise, but at least a quick explanation. Maybe maybe not so much dialogue. Yeah, dialogue. as much as it's more like. It. Yeah, yeah. it's very action packed. Yeah. Mean. I mean, that's that's how you do it. Like, if you want to make a faster-paced book, you do a lot less dialogue. So. Right. I gave it a four. I, I gave it a four. I think I think it's great. I I mean, if I maybe have read number one, I might even like it more. Like, I and I, I don't want to give too high of a rating on something that, like, you know, you always leave that high rating open for that book. That's just incredible. I would even go so far as to say I give it maybe even a four and a half. I love the idea of it being on newsprint. And somebody who's such a ridiculous traditionalist and has this attitude and this um, thing about him that's like, people have, love the smell of comic books and the touch of comic books and they have to be there and it's just, you just don't understand. And that's you, CBS. <laughs> the fact that you don't like newsprint blows my mind. It's not that I don't like newsprint. My issue with this particular bond of newsprint is that you can see the p previous page on the current page, like the printing you can see the you can see both pages at the same time, and I I have a problem with that. Like if they would have used like a so if they're on bond one, which I don't know if that's what it actually is, because I don't know what grade of paper it is. But like the other books they put out, there there's two others they put out. They put out one called well, no, actually there's like four. Yeah, they put out a few. Yeah, actually, one of the others one of the other ones we've done a review for actually was um Tinker. Oh gosh, Tinseltown. Tinseltown. Yeah. And like that one's got the same issues with the paper. So the paper bond, if it was a higher bond, even if it was just one ply more, I would like it better, only because then you wouldn't see the other pages bleed through on the current page you're reading. So like that's the, my explanation for why I don't like that. I guess I don't see it. I'm not seeing... Anyway, I'm not going to argue. It's not a big deal to me, but um, I don't see it. I don't see what you're seeing, but it's it's ridiculous to me. I think newsprint, is, to me, is makes comic books better. 
I love comic books on newsprint. I always did. And like when they started switching over to that plasticky feel, I started kind of getting away. That's, I'm not as into that. I don't like that as much. It, it seems weird to me. Hmm. Huh. And I, and I, and I forgot how much I loved it when I, I was like, Ooh, <laughs> got excited. Yeah. So. Well, Rob, you guys go for that book. I'd, I'd go with three. I, it, it was fun. It has a lot of action going on in it, which is really cool. It's got a, a neat story element to it. I mean, when it comes to, like, the manufacture of the book, like, I, I don't know if that really factors in so much for me, but, like, there's pros and cons to both sides. You know, the the big bonus for the new generation of books or whatever is that they're, they're always going to be this pristine. The color is always going to be this nice. You're not dealing with yellowing. You're not dealing with page rot or whatever. But, yeah, you do lose something in it. You know, whereas the, the newsprint... Could it have that chase and value? Yeah, because it's going to degrade. You know, the pages are going to yellow. The things are going to get torn up. They're not necessarily as tough. The color is going to fade. But, I mean, at this point, like, they're not a big enough company for that to be something that we're worried about, like, for chase-wise. But, I mean, it's cool that it gives that nostalgia factor. And so far, as a company, they're coming out with some really cool comics. That's true. You know, yeah. They're they're definitely picking some like really neat genres that people aren't doing right now. So it's cool on them. Yeah. Sure. And the issue I think with indies a lot is that something always suffers. Like and that happens on big books too. Like we're, we'll get to the next book we're going to talk about. I have some issues, but um, like on an indie, you always run the risk because you don't have the money to hire the talent. So you always have to just pull people from a pool and hope that they're going to be fantastic. And hope that you get that diamond in the rough. And the art and the story both, I didn't feel like they, it lacked anything. I thought it was really, really good. I really liked the art in it, like, stylistically. And it was clean. And it's you could see what was going on, even in the action sequences. Sometimes an artist who's not super... Um, he's not very not seasoned. They, he or she can, like, make it look cluttery and messy. Right. And it wasn't that way, so... Sure. Yeah, I mean that's definitely true. Um I now that I'm thinking of the book, I lost it. But um we talked about it a while back, actually, from Denver. It was Joella Jones working on it. We Helheim? Had, no, we met the writer and he had talked about securing her for the art on it. It mm. was um shoot. It was basically he had this autistic kid that played this kind of role-playing game with a bunch of his friends and they kind of had fallen out over the years and whenever the guy died the powers kind of transferred to them prometheus project okay you're, you're not talking about joel you're talking about layla del duca layla del duca mm -hmm. yes i'm sorry um so one of the big things about that book was that he had made like a big point of like securing the money to get layla paid right you know, to make that thing happen. And that was all before it got picked up by a bigger producer. So, I mean, that, that happens, you know. Um, and so far, you know, this company's doing pretty good. So, we, we'll, we'll see what their test of time is, I guess. I don't know why we're... Sorry. You can stop. We'll, we'll catch you off there. Um, yeah, I give it a three. It, the art's good. It's a fun story. It's a miniseries. And, like, a couple other books that I've read from that particular company... I, I like them. So as far as like things, I think they're cool. Uh, they are 
they are a smaller company, but as far as like this particular book, as far as a story, the company and the paper don't matter so much. Otherwise, we would have flunked like Marvel years ago for everything. Because if the mouse can't keep up and they're spending more money, then these guys are doing fine. But that's a different kind of argument about things. But as far as this particular issue, yeah, I, I give it a, I give it a three. I think it was good. It was fun. Well, in a day and age when they're making a million issues of a comic book and it's like, it's never, unless you get a special chase cover or something like that, it's not going to ever really be worth a million dollars because they've made so many of them and so many people. Yeah, they won't carry the same like value but, in the, in the end of things. Yeah. There has so, to be a, so you're just basically paying five bucks for a book that. Well, you're paying the artist writers. The main thing with like, so Marvel, like again, you're talking about the talent, like their pool of people is so much more impressive. Because, like, the names you read on that book, I've never heard of them. That doesn't mean anything. Obviously, they're good. But then I'll be all, you're paying three ninety nine for a book over Marvel. You're paying for the artist, writer, inker, colorist, and then possibly a, a, a well, letterer, too. Now, granted, letter is maybe the smallest line of things, but nevertheless, like, you have three other major pieces in there that are all people need to be paid. So the first time around, yeah, that's that's where they're spending that money is on those people. And when you have people like Ed McGinnis or Jay Scott Campbell doing anything, like you're paying out the nose. Whether you be Marvel or DC. I mean, hence the price of where books are at now. It's it's that. I mean if everybody was dude just trying to make it out of the garage, which these guys seem like they might be, it'd be a very different price point. I I think for everybody. But that's again a different kind of argument. So let's move on to another fun book, right? <laughs> fun book. So we got Justice League number two. Yeah, I don't see why not. Where's that horn sound? I have to get a sound effect board in here, and then I'll tell Mike not to push the buttons on it. Because <sighs> for a while we did that for like a couple of episodes, and <laughs> Mike tried. It didn't work so great. Like he, he didn't do bad, but there was a couple. I mean, he liked to push the buttons. That's true. Probably, probably I do miss Mike being on the show. Okay. He's been too busy in life, so maybe at some point we'll get that back around here. One time. Anyhow, so uh, if, I, if I hadn't mentioned it earlier, this is Justice League number two, written by Scott Snyder. And the uh, art in it is by George Jimenez. I, I feel like I know George's name from something else, but I can't remember what it was now. I bet it's Jorge. Oh, maybe. That would make sense. Yeah, it's probably Jorge, right? Maybe. It, it, regardless, sir, if you listen to this, I'm sorry for mispronouncing your name. You're welcome to send me an email to tell me how to say it. <laughs> well, Jim Zub sent us an email telling us how to pronounce certain, not his name. His name is simple, but like the artist I was working with him, who's now I don't remember. <sighs> yeah. Appreciate you, Jim. Anyway, so, uh, this book opens up when we are, we join Lex Luthor, who's got an American flag behind him. He's standing in full suit and he's giving a speech. That seems like it'd be to a huge batch of people. And then we pull back and we find out that it's like the Veterans House or Veterans, Veterans Hall in Kansas. So there's like five guys there. And he's talking a big show about how, oh yeah, the reasons you're doing this speech is because of his dad and how his dad used to care about this area and care about the Veterans Hall and blah, 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 blah. And then he tells them all, yeah, and I lined the bomb, the building with explosives. So you all probably should get out. And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 and you're going to blow up too. He's like, nope, my suit's uh, explosive-proof. And then all of a sudden this giant bubble thing wraps around his head to secure him protection-wise, and the guys all freak out and start running out of the building before it explodes um, to reveal a hidden door that you would only see if a particular thing happened that has a marking on the door handle that is a particular marking, something we saw 
Similar to the previous issue, number one, where we reveal the entranceway to the Justice League's, like, secret area inside the Hall of Justice. Because they area that's opened up to the public, and then they have the area that's not for the public. Anyway, it has a hidden door, and if your brain has been programmed by Marsh Manhunter to be able to see it, then you can see it, otherwise you can't see it. Anyhow, so that leads to uh, the explosion blowing everything up, and uh, Lex Luthor using that to get himself access into this doorway. From there, we cut to space. We join uh, John Stewart, who's bringing a prisoner back to uh, have transported to a cell. And uh, this particular prisoner was out uh, basically trying to break the cosmic membrane out in space. Has to do with the uh, the source wall, which a while back we had a storyline where the source wall had a big hole blown on it. And now we have a diff- bunch of different folks trying to get on the other side of the wall, which... It's a crazy idea, because the source wall initially, if you touched it, it basically absorbed you. And that's how they trapped Darkseid for quite a while, actually, was in the source wall. Yeah. A lot of that goes all the way back to the Green Lantern and stuff with the Relic. Right, it does. Yeah. So uh, he's talking to this fellow, and the the guy's constantly talking trash to him for the most part. Then eventually, all of a sudden, we have this emergence of Swamp Thing in the middle of the ship. And Swamp Thing tells him that he has a message in... Swamp Thing's figure turns into Batman, and Batman explains to John, "This is the only way we can co- connect to you because you're not hooked, you're not currently dialed in to Martian Manhunter." Because the League is so very much like the anime cartoon, where they all had John orchestrate them together to where they could consciously talk to each other while wherever they were, they were telepathically at. Linked. telepathically linked. There you go. Well, John apparently has that link, but has disconnected his or dis- is not connected currently. And so the only way they could figure out to talk to him was to have him projected using Swamp Thing's powers. So Batman basically tells him, we need your help. We need you here now. Like, we have this giant head that crashed into the Earth from beyond the source wall that's emitting a signal. And this signal, we can't understand what it's supposed to be, but we're pretty sure whatever it is is enough power to either take over the universe or destroy the universe. In the previous issue, we had some dealings with Vandal Savage and a few other villains, so that's prior to this issue, so a little more backstory, I guess. And while he's talking to John, he's like, dude, you've worked with this before, you know, this isn't this isn't that different than before. He's like, no, no, I gotta work for the core, you know, the core's got me doing the particular jobs. And Batman's like, no, no, dude, we need your help. Like, you don't understand. He's like, why can't Hal help you? And of course, well, Hal's got something else he's got going on. Hal's dealing with the source wall. Right. Which is where the main problems come from in the first place. And that shows Batman's respect for every other lantern that he's like, mm-hmm. Just you or how everybody else is. Mm. <laughs> we know he doesn't get along with Guy at all. But there's Kyle. That's, that's true. The, the new guy that wears the mask. Well, Baz. Yeah, Baz and Jessica Cruz. Mm. But if you're going to pick a set of characters to pick, you don't pick. Yeah. Clearly, your, your right choice is Hal or John. There's always Nort. You can always pick him. No. Well, he's not from Earth first. Second, I mean, he's got a dog face. So, like, you're not going to know. Comic relief, sure. I'm just saying, there's other Green Lanterns, man. Yeah, but not ones that Batman can have a media dial to. I guess he probably does, actually, because he's Batman. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've never had any inter- interaction with Batman and Baz and, and Jessica. Not mm. that I'm aware of. I mean, I guess they must have at some point during the Justice League stories, because yeah. during New 52, Baz was part of the Justice League for a minute, but it wasn't like a normal thing. Well, I think Baz and Jessica have both been... Kind of on again, off again, parts of the Justice League for a minute. Right. But they're both kind of like trainee status, so I mean, I guess I could see where I, I wouldn't want them. Right. Anyhow, well, he, Batman mentions that the, 
they've uh, gone past the barrier wall of the giant head that crashed, and uh, the one that did it was Killer Croc, and when Killer Croc came out, he said something was different. Like, not okay different. And about that time, you hear the giant, like, screaming, crashing, and everyone's like, Batman, we need your help. And he's, John's like, what's that? He's like, uh, well, and then we cut to the next page to a giant-looking T-Rex monster thing with spikes coming out of its back, and he's like, oh yeah, it's Killer Croc. And so what we see for Croc is now, like, not anything like Killer Croc normally looks. I mean, he, this thing is huge. It looks like a, it looks like a T-Rex sort of mixed with a Killer Croc with, like, exoskeleton spikes everywhere. It's crazy. And the whole Justice League's fighting it. Because uh, apparently they all are all needed to. And as this is going on, we wind up seeing that the creature or the new Killer Croc is still, like, forming new powers because it, like, breathes gas out of its nose. That is kryptonite gas. And it, it injures Superman. He's like, well, that's new. It's got kryptonite breath now. And, like, the Flash... Well, the Flash has problems with the Speed Force. Whatever's happening with him is something different. It has something to do with that the turtle character. Which is from the Titan stuff or Teen Titan stuff. Anyhow, um, so we wind up seeing them battling Killer Croc for the most part, and eventually Wonder Woman lasses them out, and they manage to trip him and take him down. From there, we cut back to Lex Luthor, who is now walking into an underwater base with Black Manta, uh, Gorilla Grodd, and Cheetah. And Gorilla Grodd isn't terribly impressed. He's like, I like collectibles and old things. And then Black Manta's like, how is this on the bottom of the ocean? I don't know about it. I'm Black Manta. I know everything down here. And Lex Luthor basically tells him, well, the only ones I knew was here was the people that built it, and that was like centuries ago. And me. So welcome to a new base. Because basically just, he's be, he's building his Legion of Doom is what he's doing. And in the process, he introduces them to his ultimate weapon that is going to help Gorilla Grodd stop the Flash and everybody else stop whoever. And it's a baby. Which is way weird. And I don't understand who this baby is or what it's supposed to be connected to or why it's even a thing at all. But uh, Lex tells Grodd, well, if you want who he is, just mind meld with him. Of course, we don't get an answer from that ourselves, so I assume the answer must be for later. Then we cut back to our Justice League characters, and we have Hawk Girl talking to the Flash about this car who he's built for the Titans to try to fight the Turtle, and uh, her talking about how she's still getting used to having metal wings and this whole idea of being who she is. So it's kind of like origin story status for her, too, I guess. So sort of like where the cartoon worked. And about that time, we have John, Marshman Hunter, and Superman both show up, and they tell the two of them, well, we have a plan to try to get inside the the the, the head's barrier, but there's only two of us that can really withstand it, and we built augmented suits for both of us. And then about that time, Batman chimes in, and the Flash is like, well, take me. Like, I can vibrate and make myself not affected by things. And they're like, no, no, your Speed Force problems are not going to be good. We need you to stay here. And they basically tell Kendra, hot girl, that she's going to go inside the other ship. And they're like, ship? Where's Batman at? Well, it turns out Batman is in a micronized atom ship inside of Superman's body. So think inner space. And now they're about to put Kendra into a ship and put her inside Martian Manhunter. So the vessels that are taking them into the crazy heads space is Superman and Martian Manhunter's bodies inside these augmented suits, which is just crazy. Like, completely crazy. It's like the Magic School Bus or Osmosis Jones or... Right, yeah, well, like Inner Space. Same idea. Being John Malkovich. Well, not quite the same, but similar. <laughs> Anyhow, so from there we cut back to John Stewart, and John Stewart's decided to go investigate this 
thing in space that Batman wanted him to investigate. In the process of that, he winds up finding it, and he's like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like the, It's like all the answers in the world are behind this thing. And he sees that there's a someone there, and the person reveals himself, and of course it turns out to be Sinestro. But Sinestro is not yellow, he's not green. In fact, he's a color we've never really seen before at all. I kind of want to save that as the as a catch, because it's a very new thing. So we'll move past that for a little bit till we get to the last catch I'll give you in the book, because there's a whole lot of the ground gets covered. Superman and Martian Manhunter basically approach the, the skull, or the giant, not skull, giant head in the sand, and they both start trying to breach the uh, inner interior of it. In the process of that, John returns, but he's now been affected or changed. So now he is a servant of Sinestro, which is a pretty big thing. We get a reveal that the Lex Luthor that Gorilla Grodd and Cheetah have been talking to is not actually Lex Luthor. He is a robot. And they show us where the real Lex Luthor is, and it's in one of the most unlikely places you'd ever expect. Which is also another thing that you're going to have to read the book to get, because, man, it is crazy. Just crazy. Um, Man, score-wise, I like the art a lot. Writing-wise, man, for as much as I like throw rocks at Scott Snyder occasionally, this is pretty good. Like, I'm real happy with it. And if you like any of his Batman stuff from New 52, you'll like this. Because it's written really well, and like... Just the stuff happening is so crazy, and like you get a lot of coverage of a lot of characters. So like I don't feel like anybody's 100% left off the board. I mean, yeah, we don't get a lot of Aquaman, a lot of Wonder Woman in this issue, but we see them both when they're fighting the uh, Killer Croc. And then we move forward with other characters, and they're around whenever John returns. It's John Stewart, excuse me, not Green Lantern anymore. It's John Stewart. So like in the next issue, they'll definitely be more prevalent in whatever's going to happen there. But yeah, score-wise, did I ever give it a score? No, I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, I thought it was really good. It's fun. I'm interested to see the next issue. I'm fairly excited with this new Justice League and like the way things are moving. And they, they reference the Justice League Dark, and I think that's really cool because we know we're getting that as a book. So like where these things are going to connect, I think it'll be neat. That's all I got for that. So it's, it's good stuff. Josh, do you have a score for that book? Um, I I don't know. I give it a three. I was kind of, I I don't I'm not a big fan of the whole um, Super Friends esque direction they're going. It's the Hall of Justice and the Legion of Doom and Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor's talking to the Legion of Doom and giving Gorilla Grodd a baby. It's like not a fan. Can't believe you don't like that part. I don't. I didn't. I I hated Super Friends. So, but this isn't like Super Friends. It's it's more like just kind like of. animated series. Uh, Super Friends, not the same thing. I feel like it was a lot like that. And but you were right. The 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 art in the second issue, which I, is weird to me. I don't know what's going on. I don't work at DC. I don't know what happened. But the art in the first issue of Justice League is dramatically worse. So yeah, that's not true. Well, that's it's personal opinion. That's and I, true. Okay. I think it's dramatically it worse. And obviously somebody felt that way and that's why they switched artists because there's times when Superman looks just like Bizarro's face, it's all whited out and his eyes are just lines and to see whoever the artist was got bored. I think and I don't think that's the case. The scene you're talking about, they're all supposed to be hauled, like if you, they're not really there. They're all like see through like, no, projections of themselves. They're not all see through, but it, I mean, whatever. Like, if that's, you like it, that's fine. I mean, you, you go on, argue just to argue, but I'm just saying that they, 
they made a dramatic improvement in this one, and it's way better. And the art's fantastic. The art's really, really good in it, and I liked that part of it a lot. I'm curious where they're going to go with this John Stewart Sinestro thing. Um, we'll see. Like, I didn't. Yeah. But Did you give it a score in there? I gave it three. Okay. Rob, you got a score for the uh, Justice League number two. I'd probably follow it up with an, a three as well. Um, I thought I thought the art was good for it. Uh, surprisingly enough, I I am a big fan of the of the Justice or the uh, Super Friends, but I don't necessarily like it when it gets involved in the comics. So I don't know if I'm super happy with that either. Huh. We'll see as it, as it goes. You know, if they can make if they can make it work in a compelling way. I mean, the, the Hall of Doom is a fun concept in comic. But in, or I'm sorry, not in a comic, in the in animated series, but in a comic, it doesn't quite work that well. You mean like Legion of Doom? Yeah. For them to have like their own hall that they're going to be hanging out in and stuff. Their own you know? secret hideout. It's kind of like uh, Skeletor Snake Man, uh, Mountain. You know, when you know where he's at, when things go down, you just go there. Yeah, but they don't know, the Just League is not aware of a no, Yeah, not base. at this point, but like, you push that too long. It shouldn't sure. be an issue, you okay. know? I, I guess you're just saying. Um, the Skeletor thing, everybody knows where Snake Mountain is because a giant snake come out of the top of it, and if he wants to shake Skeletor down, he just goes to Snake Mountain. That's, that's what I, I was saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, I at some point, I think anything that went wrong, I would just be showing up at Snake Mountain. <laughs> well, that's why, in, that's why in G.I. Joe, they had, like, there was the Terror Drome, and then there was, like, Destro's Place, and there was that castle that big snake castle then they also had the massive flying helicarrier that looked like a snake too so there's like 10 different places that cobra commander could be and he was always a different place these guys are like oh we're in one secret layer one well, that's what it seems <laughs> like they're leading to and, and it's possible that that's not even going to be a thing like as soon as they get that figured out like it'll disappear or it could be like the house of mystery and it'll go into being really interesting as just kind of a thing that they throw up every once in a while but, I mean, regardless, it's a strong start for the new Justice League. And if you're going to go for Jon Stewart, I mean, this is a strong way to do that. I don't think we've actually seen Sinestro very much lately. So that'll be interesting. For me, I guess the big thing is I I don't want to see Superboy Prime back. I don't think we ever need to see Superboy Prime ever again. Do you feel like this is leading to him? Anytime we touch the source wall, that begins to be something people talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I just, you know, that's my personal thoughts on it. Like, Superboy Prime had his story, and it was awesome. Leave him alone. We don't need him anymore. We don't ever need to see him again. Anything you do to bring him back is just going to make that weaker. That's what I'm thinking. But I, I, I'd i give it a three. I think I think it's pretty well done so far. So, mm-hmm. I doubt we're going to see anything Superboy Prime, but now that I said that, I should probably knock on wood. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think he's part of this storyline. Not really. Yeah, we might see him back at some point. And there's a lot of flavor on the internet that wants to see him back only because he killed the shit out of people, so... Yeah, I, I don't understand it. You know, like, there's just nothing that can be continued with him. Destruction? Yeah, but to what end? More destruction. Yeah, but you're not going to do that anymore. That's true. You know, you can't bring him back and have him rip Puma in half again. She's already done. <laughs> I know, because she's back alive, because of New 52. Well, maybe. So the Puma gets ripped apart again. I mean, they're the same people who got to the end of Avengers and went, <gasps> something happened. <laughs> you know, like, they, they say they want to see it, but when they see it, they don't want it. Right, well. You know, and there's only so far you can go. You know, you can't 
keep bringing him in and have him do craziness because eventually he's going to get to somebody that you know can't it can't be done with. Sure. So it's a good point. I'm not, I'm not championing the idea of return. I'm just saying there's a lot of people that want it, so I guess we'll see. Yeah, that's weird. Other places, I think, have made more sense to show back up, and they didn't use him, so mm. I guess that's fine. Okay, so let's move on from uh, the Justice League and Superboy Prime, for whatever weird reason, to uh, X-Men Gold, number 30? X-Men Gold, number 30. Yeah. I wasted everything I had on that. <laughs> they- Fired. <laughs> and so it's being written by Mark Guggenheim with artists by David Marquise. And this is kind of like the culmination of a lot of things leading together. And I don't know, I, I was actually talking to uh, somebody about this not too long ago that it kind of feels like DC was setting up Batman, uh, Catwoman. Right. And so Marvel was like, oh, well, we're going to have a wedding too. <laughs> and just kind of threw this together. Yeah. I kind of feel like there was a little bit more legwork behind it, but it doesn't feel as impactful as maybe it should have. And that's just, that's not even to do with the book, because the book is actually really well written. That's just kind of the sad truth of it, I guess. There's feeling behind the chase for both companies. Yeah. They always do that, though. Like, yeah. Batman's missing now, and Iron Man was missing, like, they're always doing something to, like, rip one another off. Yeah, they... they well, I mean, definitely, it's a, it's a competitive thing. You know, I mean, when you see something succeeding over here, you, you try to do over there, but, like, I don't know. This was a bad choice. It's not as bad as, like, the Earth 2 Green Lantern stuff that was going on whenever we had... Oh, my gosh, there's going to be a major DC character that's gay, and all of a sudden, oh, North Star's getting married, like... Right. You know, it wasn't as bad as that. So, Anyways, getting into this issue, uh, there's actually a lot of really, really cool old X-Men knowledge in here and a lot of neat callbacks. So we actually begin with Kitty and Colossus, and it's a flashback to just after Secret War, which if, you know, you were reading that far back or you, you know, know that far back, there was this huge thing because Kitty and, uh, and Colossus were thought to, you know, be together forever. I mean, they were like Peter Parker, Mary Jane, you know, that that was the foregone conclusion. These two were going to get married. Right. Well, during Secret War, Peter Colossus was nearly killed, and he winds up being killed by this alien lady, and they fall in love and, you know, have their first intimate moments, and Colossus comes back changed after she dies. And he's like, I can't be with you anymore, Kitty. Like, my life is too different now. And so she's remembering this as they're going into their wedding. And she's remembering, like, the things that he said about her when he was mourning her death, moving into the things he's saying to her now about their relationship or their wedding coming up. Well, there's, like, interesting nods or comparisons between the two situations and how similar they are. And there's a lot of cool flashbacks. I mean, the flashbacks whenever she's trapped in the bullet, the flashbacks where he decided to give himself the mutant cure that killed him. Like, there's a lot of neat leans to old stuff that happened. Yeah, well, they definitely talk a lot about these different characters and their relationship to one another. Another kind of cool thing is when they, they wind up going to the bar and we start finding out, like, other characters have sort of these relationships and things that are being built that maybe we didn't uh, originally know about or 
weren't as obvious. So um, we have a lot of relationship between Jean, young Jean, old Jean, and Rachel, and kind of how they relate to each other. It's kind of, it was really pretty funny, actually, where the three of them were talking to each other. Hmm. If you're a mother anybody, you should mother her. And Rachel's like, oh my god, I wish we get invaded by the brood or something. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a nice nod back to like what Lockheed's been up to. But one of the things I thought was really cool is they've been building out a relationship between Rachel and Nightcrawler. And Nightcrawler kind of makes this point of being like, yeah, if you guys get married, I'm probably going to propose to her. When they were talking about, like, well, is this serious or not? From there, Kitty kind of gets pulled away by Ileana, which, again, this is like old continuity stuff. You have to really know your X-Men. Ileana and Kitty are best of friends, so much so that, like, when Ileana was losing her soul, she was actually left, like, a piece of it with Kitty to kind of inherit the soul sword in case she would die. So, like, their relationship is really tight. And Ileana doesn't really mean to, but she kind of, like, puts the fear of doubt into her, kind of. A little bit, yeah. And I think it just kind of opens up Kitty's mind to thinking, like, what am I doing this for? Am I really doing this because this is the right thing to do, or is this because, like, this is what is expected of me to do? And we continue on, you know, building out some more stuff. And I mean, if there's one thing that I can say in this, it's it's really kind of a nice touchback to the fans that have been here for so long. So, like, even the person that's putting on Kitty's makeup is, you know, a character that was really important back in the day that hasn't been around for a while. Right. You know, they don't, they don't have anything in here that's just kind of, let's just throw this in just to throw it in. You know, they didn't waste any time being like, oh, hey, let's have Storm hang out with Bloodstorm just because... Right. You know, they do kind of pull that a little bit with Logan showing up and, like, watching him like a creep from the roof. Well, it's because he's not supposed to be back yet, Rob, and him and Kitty have a weird history, too. Everybody's been chasing after Wolverine, so... Yeah, well, I mean, Kitty is the original, like, Wolverine sidekick character. Right. And they've been chasing that ever since it happened. You know, I mean, they've been trying to put that genie back in the bottle, or, well, like, capture that lightning again, I should say. You know, it's it's kind of like what happened with Dick Grayson and, and Batman. You know, he took off and became something amazing, and they've tried to do it again and again and again, and it never really works. I mean, if you follow the progression, Jubilee, Armor, um, not really Hope, but, you know, they've continued to do this throughout the time, trying to give him a new protege. Right. As we get to the, the wedding itself... And there is an interesting thing there where we have the rabbi, and I guess this really shouldn't be that interesting. I don't know why I'm always like, oh yeah, Kitty's Jewish. <laughs> yeah. Because it's always been a thing. It's just, yeah. I mean, that's actually why the guy got in trouble in the beginning of this book in the first place. The issue just, one, yeah. the guy just, like, had to be a jerk. But we're getting to the moment where she's walking down the aisle and... We're kind of going back and looking at all these moments that were key in these characters' lives leading up to this one that could be, like, the next biggest key. Right. Right? And there is something here in the middle that happens, and it's big. It's a big deal. And it relates to the variant cover that came out, and it relates to where we're going to go next. But right. we're going to just We're just going to jump that. Let that be the cliffhanger. For yeah, the, so, so you need to buy. I'm you sure need all, to buy the book. I'm sure all those books, all those other websites, have spoiled that already. But you could go on. Well, yeah, they do. They spoiled it before it came out because yeah. that's what Marvel loves to do. Yeah. 
Marvel doesn't want to keep anything in its pants. <laughs> it just shows up to the party and it's like, this is a foregone, you know, nice. thing and just whips its pants right on. <laughs> so I sat through this whole podcast to be able to talk about the ending of this book and now I don't even get to talk about it. Well, no, we're going to, we're going to jump a little bit further. We're just going to skip a section here in the middle. But basically, <laughs> the ending anywhere and talk about basically the, uh, you can't talk about the, the ending without talking about the part you're going to well, skip. We can, yeah. No, okay, you can leave it out. It's fine. I, I got this. Okay. So, okay. The sentiment of what's going on actually winds up inspiring two other people. Right. And it winds up actually being an offhanded comment by Storm, which is great because Storm has not addressed, as far as I know, anything with her and T'Challa. Or the Black Panther? Yeah. No, it just leaves three out the window. You know, um, and so it was nice to see her comments basically being, it's better to have somebody in your life that you know you want to have every moment of your life with right. than to discover something else, which is really poignant without saying, like, her relationship in T'Challa doesn't work. <laughs> right. That inspires Rogue and Gambit to begin a, a, a next step in their life where actually Rogue, like, Gambit proposes to Rogue. Right. And she accepts. And we go all the way to nine yards. Yes. And so, like... That's what the next thing is. So, like, that mysterious book that we were like, it's a mysterious, classified, classified, classified. They're not going to show us the cover. Right. It's this book. Yeah. Do you know the title? I know the title. Mm, uh, well, I think it's yeah. I think it's it's shown right here, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Mr. and Mrs. X. Bwah, bwah, bwah. Yeah. But you know what doesn't happen in this? That's kind of sad. Huh. Nightcrawler does not propose to Kitty. Kitty? Or not Kitty. Rachel. I'm sorry, to Rachel. Rachel. That's yeah. true. Which is sad. And maybe that's because of some of the stuff that happens in the book, but there was another point that was awesome in there where we have Beast and Beast together and Iceman and Iceman together, and they're like, you know what, we could be the new Fantastic Four. Awesome. <laughs> and Beast's like, the Dave's already took it, and he's like, nobody's using it right now. <laughs> Hilarious. I think the coolest thing to me in this book, besides the wedding of Rogue and Gambit, because mm -hmm. Gambit's my favorite X-Man, always has been, always will be, and... um. Like you were talking about all these, you have to know some history. There's so much throwbacks to like old, old X books. Well, G Gambit's first appearance, like that issue is him like helping out Storm. So him and Storm are talking and he's like confiding and they're talking about how much he loves Rogue. And like you, people forget that Storm and Gambit are really close because they were both like street thugs, basically. Like she was a, Thief and yeah, she was a thief, a and thief. So, so see, so like they have a lot of background, like a lot of history. So yeah, they can see each other, kind of. They can see one another in themselves, right? Yeah. Um, but I mean, earlier this year we had the whole Rogue and Gamut miniseries, and it was kind of building this back up. And for me, as as a '90s X Men guy, like that's where it was supposed to be, right? I mean, they even allude to it in this book where. Gene is, like, poking young Cyclops and is like, oh, yeah, we got married over there, which is weird, by the way, that Gene did that. <laughs> but young Gene did that. Yeah, that's a whole other Young Gene's thing. telling young Cyclops, like, that's where we got married when we got married in this. And then yeah, because Gene's been all butthurt about knowing what her future is supposed to be. Right. So, like, it's weird that she did that. I, I'm thinking they probably just, that was probably an easy writing thing. But, I mean, back in the day... 
Gambit caught the garter and she caught the bouquet. So, like, this is kind of a nice tie to that, too. And, of course, they actually didn't do that nonsense in this book. But, you know, maybe it'll happen in the next issue. Who knows? Or maybe the first issue of Mr. and Mrs. X. I don't think we'll relive the we'll, we'll relive the wedding in that issue. I doubt it. I, I that's kind of like I don't know. Is that even a thing anymore? Really? People like, do it at weddings. Do yes. they still do it? Yes. I don't know. It's a thing. Okay. Well, it's, it's I mean, still a thing. there's some that a throwback to the Cyclops Jean Grey wedding. There's some really cool things that happened in that that book, and it was like one of the. I mean. I would say that it, 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 me being the massive Superman fan that I am, I think it trumps the Lois Lane, um, Clark Kent wedding, the Superman Lois Lane wedding issue, just because it's like, there's so much more feeling to it. I think they, they rushed the Superman one, speaking of wedding books, but that one they kind of did it because Lois and Clark were getting married on the TV show, so they like yeah. rushed it in the comics to make it match. But this one, like the Cyclops and Jean Grey thing was like, they just had, they built up, built up to it. They were in love. And it's like some really cool things like Jean making Professor X with her mind be able to stand so he could, she could dance with him because that was kind of her father figure. And yeah. there's so many cool things then. Like it was a good, so I was, yeah. This felt very traditional X-Men. Like all the things that kind of you, you want to love about the Claremont X-Men, like I felt like was really, really here and it was really, really represented and it was represented well. Because there's been other times where they've gone, yeah, let's go play some baseball, and it feels really like just just nostalgia. See, for nostalgia takes stake, where this feels more, it feels more real in a way, if that makes sense. I I wish I could say like, I I wasn't a DC fan at the time that that wedding took place, so I really can't compare. Right. But like for me, the Cyclops Gene wedding was huge because I was an X-Men fan and right. like, that's what I followed. I didn't, you know, I didn't even get to experience the Spider-Man gene or yeah, Spider-Man gene gray. That happened. Didn't it? <laughs> didn't that happen? Sell the redhead. I could. He liked redheads. Spider-Man and uh, Mary, Jane. Mary Jane Watson. There you go. Like I didn't experience that wedding or the Sue storm Reed Richards wedding. No, any you know, stuff. I mean, that, that stuff was all stuff that even if it was going on at the age that I was, I wouldn't have cared because I was an X-Men fan. And it's not that those other guys didn't matter. It's just that you weren't reading the four. X Men's what yeah. the thing was for me. But I, I'm glad that this captured that because I I really was kind of getting this like, yeah, they're just doing this to kind of keep up with the Jones, and it totally isn't. It's a fantastic book, and it really, if you're a longtime fan, it hits a lot of notes. I don't know if you aren't, if this book is going to be enough. But, like, for me, it definitely hit everything I wanted, so. Cool. You got a score for that book, Rob? I, I, I hate to do it, but I'd probably give it a four. I, I I enjoyed what they did with it. The artwork for it is fantastic. Really smart storytelling. Really smart way of using the past of all these characters. And I felt like everything was very organic, and the characters felt very real. And this story has almost nothing to do with the fantastic idea that these guys are, are X-Men or that these guys are mutants. It's just a wedding and it really feels impactful in that way. Cool. Josh. Uh, I give it a four as well. Um, I was stoked on it when I read the spoiler. I actually called you about it. I was like, Hey, what's the deal with this? And you're like, Oh, this is happening. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And they spoiled it all the internet. So whatever. But, 
I love Gambit. Gambit's my favorite X Man. Always has been. Like even even out of his suit, like people always kind of like try and change it because the pink is like weird. But like it's that whole color color contrasting, just like Superman's underwear, like on the suit. Like you try and take it away, and it just looks odd. And so like, and it just. But even his costume has always been super cool to me. I like it. Like just his powers, what are always all about, and his and Rogue's like dynamic was always kind of interesting to me because like they can't really touch very much. They have periodically, but I'm not sure, you know. And then, like, she was super into Magneto for a while, so. That was alternate universe weirdness. I guess it did leak over a little bit they in the did it. books. They did it in, like, when they had the island and stuff. When they had, like, the yeah. island. Yeah, but yeah. they also had other crap going on, too. Yeah, no, it, it was, a, it was it, a thing. It was a full-on thing. It's It was weird, but it was a thing, yeah. Because Magneto, with his magnetic powers, was able to touch Rogue, so it was a big deal. Right. I mean, maybe being able to offset himself, that's why they made it work. I guess, I don't know, the concept of it's not the craziest thing, but whatever. Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I've got, I, I follow suit with you guys. I give it a four. No, I actually give it a four and a half. I thought it was a really good book. I like the twist. I mean, I wish it wouldn't have been spoiled by the internet this, the day before it came out, which yeah. just seems pointless. But at the same time, it was a pretty big, it was a pretty big secret for a minute. But if you don't know it already, you should just get the book and it'll blow right. your mind. It's, yeah, it's completely. Fantastic. Totally worth it. Like, book-wise, it was, it was a good book. It makes me wonder, like, how many people feel bad for missing Rogue Gambit, because it was a pretty freaking good miniseries. Yeah. And now we're going to Mr. 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 and Mrs. X, and that just seems like a continuance of Rogue Gambit. So hopefully that goes well. I mean, the art looks great for the test pages. Yeah, I, I have high hopes for it. Hopefully it turns out really well. Um, I've, I've been reading the Rogue and, and Gambit series. Yeah. I know I haven't read the final issue. And so I don't know if there's like some big thing in there where... Yeah, they make a reference. I think it's in issue four. They make a reference to having been in each other's skin. Yeah. They actually reference that in this issue, the issue 30. They mention that, which is a direct connection to that. Yeah, to, to that series, series. Where, where they actually like relive the, the first time they met and yep. the actions that were took there and then many of the times where they've had really big conflicts. Um, but as, as far as I know, like there's nothing changed with Rogue's abilities, so no. she's still going to have to deal with... Yeah, power-wise, that, that stuff's all still an issue, but yeah. as a thing in general, they have a different understanding of each other now than they did before that miniseries. Yes. Like, literally walked in each other's shoes. Right. Which is pretty freaking cool. Anyway, okay, uh, so let's move on to, we got our interview for, uh, Marguerite Scott. Uh, she's taking over the new Batgirl series, or not new Batgirl series, she'll be taking over the new writer on Batgirl. And, awesome meeting her, really nice lady, super fun to talk to. Um, she's got a whole bunch of other stuff going on, so enjoy this interview and look into the other work that she's put out and get ready for the new Batgirl series. Rob, roll it. Hey, this is Steve, the Top 5 Comics Podcast, here at the Denver Comic Con 2018, and I am here with... Margaret Scott, a writer of Batgirl. Which we just all found out about yesterday, which is awesome. So, book-wise, you've also written Transformers and a bunch of other stuff, so, like, is this your first foray for DC Comics? Uh, it's not my first foray, it's my first, I guess longer term foray for DC Comics so uh, last week my Green Arrow comic just came out I'm doing a two-parter there so next month look for the conclusion 
of that. It's Ollie versus a whole prison full of metahumans. It's fantastic. Um, and I've also done, I was on like the Wonder Woman anniversary edition. I did all those great little holiday specials, which is really All your specials were great, and uh, Monsters in Love, you had a story in there? Yes, yeah. I love those, because it's just a chance to be a little wacky, you yeah. know? Well, they're fun, and they're like, well, most of them are holiday-centric or whatever, but they're still like fun, these little stories that don't, you don't have to dig too terribly deep, but there's some awesome stories in there, because a lot of them are really deep. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, you should pick up those little specials. <laughs> Heck yeah. Uh, all right, so, question-wise, like, how did you... How did you decide to get into comic books, like, writing-wise? Is it something that just happened, or did you... Like, where did you start? How did you get where you are? Oh, well, I mean, I, I grew up on superhero cartoons, and I started reading manga in middle school, and I started reading American comics in high school, and I really wanted to write comics, and so I, I was pounding on the door and trying to get samples out there, and I built, like, a little website and everything, um, and I finally got my big break, uh, I was working on a, I was writing a cartoon called Transformers Prime, and IDW wanted to do a comic that tied in with it, and they had hired Mike Johnson, but he knew that he wanted to work with someone, and so he co-wrote with me, and so he kind of gave me my break, so I think my first comic was Transformers, uh, Prime, colon, Beast Hunter, or, no, Rage of the Dinobots, that was it. <laughs> There's a lot of colons in Transformers comics. <laughs> That's true. There definitely is, for sure. It's because of the robots. Yeah, exactly. So uh, animation-wise, you've written a couple of episodes of animated cartoons as well. An episode for Action? Oh, Justice League, Action? Justice League Action? Yeah, I did an episode for Justice League Action. Um, I'm a consulting producer on uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy cartoon. Um, I've done some Avengers, some Spider-Man, a lot of different kinds of Transformers. Um, and then I'm doing the new Marvel uh, direct-to-DVD feature, Marvel Rising Secret Warriors, which is a buddy superhero movie about Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel. Right, which just had a first issue of it come out this last week for the comic books. But so you're doing the, the are you doing the scripting, storyboarding, or everything? I do the scripting. I cannot draw at all. And people always think I'm being modest, and I'm like, no, legit. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, as far as other things, I mean, book-wise, you've written a couple other, like, short-type, they're more kids-friendly books, I guess? Oh, yes. I do have a couple of graphic novels that just came out uh, for younger readers. Uh, so I did a sort of Miyazaki fairy tale set in 1910 San Francisco. It's called The City on the Other Side. It's about a little girl named Isabel who has to stop a civil war between the fairies. And it's got, like, arrogant mushroom people and assassin mermaids and fairy Chinatown, and it's really fun. Um, and then I did a nonfiction book that also just came out called Science, Comics, Robots, and Drones. So if you ever want to know, if you were like ever read my Transformers comics and you're like, I want to know how robots actually work, <laughs> you can come read Robots and Drones. That title is freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's I always say, it's Science, Comics, Robots, and Drones. It's surprisingly enough, it's about robots and also drones. <laughs> okay, well, people want to find your books. Do you have a website? Yeah, um, so I have a website. It's mscottwriter.com, uh, and then you can also find me on Twitter and Tumblr, and I actually, you can sign up on my website for a monthly newsletter I do to let you know what's going on. So, and we try and, like, throw in little things. So uh, this last month, because Batgirl had been announced, I posted up my playlist for what I used to, like, get in Barbara Gordon's head. So you'll get little, like, bonus inside tips, uh, tidbits on that. Well, that's really cool. Uh, I had heard, and I don't know how true this is, this is something I picked up off another website. So is it Sean Murphy that did the recreation for her costume? Is that right? Yeah, Sean Murphy, Batgirl's going to get a redesign for her costume um, in our arc, and uh, Sean Murphy did the redesign. So we're really excited about it. You won't see it in the first issue because we really wanted to... 
you know, DC wanted, it's a new arc, it's a new look, they, they wanted a new costume, but they were really nice about waiting for it to be a good point in the story where it feels natural. Um, so you won't see it in the first issue, you'll see it in the second issue. Right, right, the way people can transition with it rather than being shocked. Yeah, exactly. You know, we wanted to, we wanted to make it an organic part of the story instead of just like... Aha, like, uh-huh, a new costume? Yeah, exactly. For, it's Tuesday. I'm changing on my look, you know? <laughs> right, right. Well, it's awesome. We look forward to it. Sure. What is your go-to karaoke song? Oh, oh man. Oh, I'm so bad at karaoke. Um, it's, I get a bunch of people and I just straight up Bohemian Rhapsody it. Because <laughs> I'm like, if you can get the crowd going and there's all of you together. And I feel like everyone kind of knows that's coming at some point in the night. So I'm just going to rip that band-aid off and do it right away. <laughs> I got, well, it's a good sing-along one, too. Yeah. All right. So, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what five items would you take with you? <sighs> items can also be people. Oh, okay. Oh, items can also be people. Oh. <laughs> um, let's... Assuming that I have all, like, necessities of life, then I am definitely going to bring a satellite phone. Um, and... Let's see. Five items. Gotta have a satellite phone got to have a, oh, just a really good hammock, because you're on an island, right? True, yeah. So you got to do that. Um, definitely need, like, three gallons of sunblock. <laughs> definitely going to need to have, like, a huge keg of, like, really good quality beer. You got to do, like, a cream ale or something like, because you're in the sun. True. But we're going to live this up. And then what's the last thing? Um, hmm. Let's do... Let's do War and Peace as that book you bring to make you feel fine <laughs> about, like, you're like, I'm totally going to read it and this is going to work out, and then you never read it. <laughs> so that's going to be that's gonna be my five items. Well, there's nothing else. If you want me to burn something, it's got lots of pages. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Perfect. Okay, we got one more. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? No. That seems bad on so many levels. First of all, I sweat a little bit, so that's not going to end well for the clothes, for the pony. I'm going to end up biting that pony. That's not right, you know? They're just That's not going to end well for anyone. Well, plus, if it gets hot, I mean, he's melting. Yeah. If it gets hot, you know, I mean, I assume since it's a sentient piece of chocolate that it can maintain some level of coolness for itself. We'd hope so, yes. But, God, how can you just, like, not try try and take a bite? <laughs> but then that seems so cruel, does, you know? Right? like. Well, you got to wonder if the main is made of chocolate, too, and how it tastes. Yeah, well, I mean, I assume the main is made of licorice. That's just where my mind was going. But... <laughs> Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking time to talk with us. No, thanks for having me. Right, I just want to thank Marguerite again for sitting down and chatting for a little bit during the uh, Denver Comic Con. It's 2018, so look forward to her books and what's going on with that. And if you like any of the other Transformer stuff she did, you should look into some of her other, her other school, like her other kids books. Cause she's got a whole line of other kids books that are 
that are out in the world for you to check out. We have a few other interviews from uh, Denver that will be running for you guys through the next couple episodes, so keep your ears out for those, I guess. Um, so, Rob, what'd you learn today? I learned that Beast and Beast and Iceman and Iceman would like to be the new Fantastic Four. <laughs> that seems too simple. Oh, I guess it's, it's true, though. It's kind of amazing, sort of, in its own way. Marvel Mocking Marvel, that's pretty good. That's, that's, yeah. All right, all right. I mean, they cooked up other names in there that were equally ridiculous, but... <laughs> I mean, Beast and, and Iceman were, you know... Well, no, I guess it was uh, Iceman and, and Angel that were part of the Defenders team that was just crazy. That's true, yeah. But... It wasn't Beast. He was always part no, of the... he was a part of the Avengers. Avengers, yep. Yeah. That's all right. At least we didn't get the Iceman and Iceman, which is the story I dread. Josh, what'd you learn today? I learned a lot. Do you want me to just pick one thing, or do you want me to just go? Pick one thing, yeah. Oh. Well, I learned that you guys don't let me have any fun, because we have to always like have secrets in books and not tell people about them, and I wanted to just be able to like, talk about all these interesting things, and the things in the books that you guys were like, oh, we can't talk about that. And I'm like, fine. Fine. I don't really think that's a learning thing that's happened before. So the next episode I'm on, I'm going to be like, hey, so since everybody's probably read those things from a couple episodes ago... Let's talk about that real quick, because I really wanted to talk about both of those things. <laughs> I don't. That's not really a thing you learned, though. I learned that. I learned that you, you, guys, you, learned that? you guys are fun killers. Uh, Especially fun. you. I also found out that um, is that you hate comic books. It's <laughs> not true, either. Is, you're like, I hate newsprint, I hate blah, blah. That's not true. I didn't say I hate newsprint. <laughs> I don't like cheap newsprint, okay? <laughs> that's not... See, this is why he wonders why. Why do I get invitations all the time? I'm like, this is why. I don't ever say that. All the time. <laughs> Man, Rob, what did I learn today? You learned that uh, Wang still means penis, <laughs> and that Plastic Man may be able to manipulate the size of his junk. I should have realized I was going to come back to that as soon as I said that. Off camera. It's in the book. It's true. It's true. I only feel kind of bad for that. <laughs> Man, that's a terrible thing. To a learn. lot of people are talking about that. Uh, okay, it's implied. As long as I'm not the only one talking about it, I guess no, it's a lot fine. of people. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, books to watch. Robbie, got any suggestions or books to watch? I guess we're actually wrapping up X Men Blue and possibly X Men Gold. So, I actually think this is the final issue for X Men Gold. But X Men Blue, I believe, is being wrapped up. As we speak. So. so you're saying get the end of those books? Yeah, pick up the end of X-Men Blue. It's actually started to get really, really good. Um, I don't know what we're going to do with the time of this place, X-Men, but... But uh, also, you know, take a look as you're, if you're in the X-Verse, you know, I guess now we need to look for Mr. and Mrs. X as it comes out. Uh, Cable's actually been super legit. I think that one's going to wrap pretty soon, unfortunately. Um, Most legacy titles are stopping either restarting or, or just ending and then... Rebranding. Mm. Uh, I think I've, I've actually really enjoyed the champions, so I think that's going to be continuing to be a really good story. I like Dark Hawk, so keep an eye for that. Okay. And then um, over on the other side, like um, Birthright has been fantastic. Wayward has come back recently, and I think is doing really well. So I think that's still one to check out. And then East to West, so. Cool. Yeah. Mr. Josh? I'm excited for Fantastic Four. Looks good. The couple pieces they put out art-wise. I'm sure they're covers, but they still look good. Um, I'm, I like the Marvel Infinity Countdown stuff a lot. I like that new 
the new um, iteration of Adam Warlock. I think it's pretty cool. Um, that's really it right now. I guess it's just like an addendum. Like, if you like Fantastic Four, please go buy the book. You know, show them that you like the Fantastic Four. Don't just say, oh, I like them, and then not buy the book. Yeah. It'd be helpful if you want to keep them around. I mean, they did cancel the series for a reason. Yeah. And it wasn't just that they didn't have the movie rights. I mean, that didn't help. No. But there was another reason that it probably had to do with sales. Probably. And not happening. Right. Well, suggestion-wise, I would give you guys uh, Avengers. Like, it's been great so far. The new, uh, the new current run of Avengers. Oh, yeah, that is fantastic. Yeah, it's been really good. I like that a lot. Um, pretty happy with Venom. Uh, Donny Cates, uh, Venom's been great. Uh, I actually got to chit-chat with him for a second over in Denver as well. Unfortunately, not an interview, because yeah, I was super busy. But, uh, yeah, uh, cool book. Current Batman's great. Can't say enough good things about Tom King right now. Like, person-wise, that dude's a great guy. I was going to say there's uh, Black Science. Still going strong. Still good. I mean, awesome art. Great stories. And, of course, at, at the time of this, that Batman one, uh, Catwoman is still, still a thing. So it still hasn't happened yet. Well, the issue 50 hasn't dropped yet. Huh? Yeah. Like, it comes out in two weeks. So that should be really neat. Um, pretty excited for the Catwoman Joelle Jones books, which is going to come out shortly after that. So Joelle doing her own book um, for Catwoman. Writer and artist, so I think that'll be great because I love her art. She's an awesome, awesome lady, great writer, yeah. cool person. Um, super excited about that actually, just because of her being so awesome. And I don't know, I, it seemed like it to me. You guys might know more than me, mm-hmm. but it seems like maybe DC might be May. Fingers crossed. I I read the end of one of the Batman books where Stephanie and Tim like kind of go off into the sunset to go like do their own thing together. It might be kind of cool if they eventually got their own book. I don't know if that'll happen, but that may be kind of cool. They both kind of do. I think it'd be neat if we got a spoiler, a spoiler Robin book. They definitely did some stuff in Detective where they uh, got them to see some of the history that they don't have anymore. Like visually, they're allowed to watch some of it. So that could lead to something, I guess. So far, we haven't heard anything about it, but it'd be cool if it did. Since both those characters are, are due at this point to have their own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the reimagining of Stephanie Brown is is good, but Tim has had he's had issues, so hopefully no, I've gotten better lately. They don't. They brought back the proper Superman. If they could just fix Tim, then I'll be a okay with DC. That would be, again. That'd be crazy, wouldn't it be? Hmm. If we had two Tims all of a sudden, and then New Fifty Two Tim died and it absorbed. You shut up. <laughs> you just shut up. It'd be too out of control. It'd You'd be just, too much. Just shut up. I think that's enough for both your nonsense. Well, thanks for listening, guys. Got a lot of hate in your heart today. Always. Heaping amounts of it. It's terrible. If I if I could have any color ring, unfortunately, it'd be red. And red doesn't go good on me. It makes my face glow funny. You're always a little pink. Walk is out of not. It was because the sun, man. My skin is not good for the sun. Well, you know, I, I'm i more orange, so I'm, yeah. I'm in that same boat. I know. That's a different, that's a different kind of thing. We we actually had a legitimate guy who was like, yeah, I think I'd be purple. And I was like, no, I kind of thought about it. And I was like, man. <laughs> Which one's purple? Compassion. compassion. Yeah, no. Without, without being overridden, he'd be like legitimate compassion instead of like prisoner compassion. No. But, but, I, but I know I'd be orange. <laughs> Just, That's what you get. Taki. Yeah, Taki. Mm-mm. 
One of these days you'll understand. I'm never going to do it. You know, man, Mike. You guys let me ruin stuff for people and I'll do it. It's not the same thing. You're already doing that. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Ruining things for yeah, people? Yeah. We're, we're, already, we're already spoiling books for yeah, people. Yeah, we are. For sure. We're just we're just holding some back. Some spoiling. Yeah, yeah, it's the only two things I want to talk about. Hold back. Yeah.